quality negatively for good measure. Now, just a sidebar, if any of you are thinking, hold on, I'm sure Jesus said some things in secret. What Jesus is saying is not that he never spoke anything in secret, but it is to say that what he spoke in secret was all of one piece with what he spoke in public. He didn't have one message uh, for the public and one message for the private. He had one message of varying depths of explanation for both the public and the private. So this is not Jesus being untruthful at this point. Coming back, Jesus is open and Jesus speaks the truth when he's interrogated. Look what he says in verse 22 and 23. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? You see that? John spends all his time in this little interrogation scene, focusing on Jesus being open and truthful, which stands in stark contrast to Peter, who hides his discipleship and speaks falsely about himself. Can you see that? It's a tale of contrasts. The contrast is being drawn. Both Peter and Jesus are being questioned. We have courage versus cowardice. We have truth versus lies. We have openness and hiddenness. At the end of the day, we'll see that we have self-preservation contrasted with self-sacrifice. So the second thing to note is that John wants us to see that this is a tale of contrasts. Representative Peter on the one hand and Jesus on the other. Okay, that's two down, one to go. Third thing we need to know is some background to this account. And this is critical. And here is where we'll, we will start to enjoy some goodness. And we'll see, in particular, what it is that Peter is representing. For this background, we need to go all the way back to chapter 12 to see one thing. And then we need to go to chapter 13 to see another thing. And so we're all going to do it together. So flip back in your Bibles to chapter 12, John chapter 12. And we're going to look at verse 23 to 26. Now, what we're going to see here, what we need to see in chapter 12, is we need to see Jesus' challenging words about true discipleship. What we need to see in chapter 12 is the benchmark of religion, right? Okay, so let's, you got it? Let's read, uh, I'll read verse 23 to 26. Follow along with me. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, he's talking to his disciples, Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He's talking about himself and what he's going to do. Verse 25, Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now he's, that he's put the challenge to them. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Whoever serves me must follow me. Full devotion. You see that? Now, this is no different 
to God's call to the Israelite nation for hundreds of years, encoded in the Mosaic Covenant. I'll read Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 5, which is right at the heart of uh, the covenant that God made with Israel, and it captures exactly how they were meant to live. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is the benchmark of true religion. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 12. Right? Full commitment. What Jesus does in these verses in John is reorient this commitment around himself. Whoever serves me must follow me. Jesus is talking about full commitment, commitment even over our own lives, and this is the call and challenge of true discipleship. Not half-baked, not follow a bit from a distance, give up a few things, protect my own little lot type of following. Not loving God in a few ways at certain times with a little bit of strength while it suits me. No, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is the call of true religion, 100% devotion. You got that? The benchmark. Keep that in mind as we turn to chapter 13, where we need to see one more thing. And here we'll see the background to today's text. We're going to look at chapter 13, verse 31 to 38. Okay, so Jesus, in this context, he's preparing the disciples for his journey to the cross, and this is what he says to them, starting in verse 33. My children, he says, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. What I want us to notice is Peter's optimism. Look what he says. Lord, why can't I follow you now? And then his next line. I will lay down my life for you. Peter says... I am a full disciple, and I do follow you all the way. I devote my life to you. I am the most devoted disciple. In fact, I will lay down my life for you. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, I'm there. I've got that. Right? He's confident. Or... Perhaps as Nike says, is it Nike? You can do it. 
Is that right? Something like that? <laughs> Just do it. Whatever. <clears throat> if you've got Nike, you can. But there's a little question mark there, isn't there? You see that? little question mark. Now, remember that Peter is representative. Okay? That's important. Because here he is as representative of the I can do it approach to religion. And that's why we needed to do this work. We needed to get there. Because this is exactly what we need to see this morning. This is the embodiment of the view that says humans can follow God in our strength. We can obey his commands. We just need to work on our devotion. We just need to get our disciplines right. We need to get the structure right. We need to get the teaching right. We can do it. Peter is the guy who represents humanity in all its best intentions, with a full resolve and all the muster of religious zeal. I will follow my master. I will serve my master. I can do it. We might think that's a little bit far, but we see this self-reliance in the theology, that this, is the, this, this theology of self-reliance is there every time you hear statements like this. I don't think they'd let me through the doors of the church. That's self-reliance. Sure, it's a low view of achievement, but it's still self-achievement. Or sometimes it's phrased more positively. I think I will go to heaven. I'm a pretty good person. This is self-reliance. Even as believers, we see this uh, lingering remnants of self-reliance in our own lives. Uh, for example, when we feel confident in our prayers after a good day, according to our standards, of course, uh, but doubtful and timid with our prayers after a bad day. And this is what Jesus picks up on in Peter's response. Verse 38 in chapter 13 there. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Will you really lay down your life for me? Is that how this works, Peter? Is that how you're going to do it? Now, with that in the background, now we can come back to our passage and see what the comparison is all about and discover the point being made. Right? Because now we know Peter's got this representative function. Now we know that the call to true discipleship. And now we can see that lingering in the air as Peter and Jesus are being interrogated is this question. Who will serve who? Who and, yeah, who will serve who? And how will Peter's religious resolve... And as representative, the resolve of all those who follow his approach to serving God hold up when the pressure comes. How is the self-reliant man or approach going to do? Will he love his own life too much and therefore lose it? Or is his love for Jesus and faith in his word so strong that he will hate his life in this present age and gain it for eternal life. That's lingering in the background as we come 
to this little section of the gospel. And the radical message of Jesus is that right here, Jesus says, no. No, you won't. And that's the picture we have painfully painted before our eyes in this little mini-narrative of Peter's denial of his Lord. And the sound of the rooster crowing is the death knell to all human-powered efforts of religion. Peter fails. And with him, the approach to God that he is representing. Jesus says to that self-reliant religious zealot, no, you won't follow me. When push comes to shove, in all its various ways, not just in this way exemplified by Peter, you won't hate your life in this world so that you keep it to eternal life. You will love your own life. You will preserve your own life. You won't actually serve me with all your life. Ultimately, you'll serve yourself at the end of the day, and this is what we need to get this morning. The message that we need to get this morning is we need to utterly despair of human confidence in religion. That is what has been laid before us in this passage. We need to utterly despair of human confidence in religion. When Peter falls, see that approach falling. That's what's happening. This is the same message as Paul when he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, For it is we, trusters of Jesus, who are the circumcision, that is the people of God, who? We who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. That is, no confidence in human achievement or pedigree to secure our place in the Father's love and kingdom. I cannot say that loud enough. No confidence in human achievement or pedigree to secure our place in the Father's love and kingdom. This is the challenging message to every self-reliant person. In fact, it's the challenge to every other self-reliant system of religion that says that with enough resolve and commitment, you can reach your place with God or win the prize that your chosen religion offers you. But the purpose of this comparison is not simply to make us despair of self-confidence in religion. That's the first step, but it's not the only step. The second is to shift our confidence, is to shift our confidence, this is where we are, we're in the point, Uh, is to shift our confidence from ourselves onto Jesus, right? That's what's happening as the two men stand before us. Because where human resolve is failing, Jesus is succeeding. And he's doing it on our behalf. This comparison story is also a substitution story. You and I and every other Israelite didn't love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And Jesus is saying, 
the way this story works is that because you don't and can't, I will lose my life so that you can gain yours for eternal life. I will lose my life so that you can gain yours for eternal life. You won't lay down your life for me, Peter. I will lay down my life for you. You haven't been committed to me, but I am your servant king and I am committed to you. Jesus is walking the path of devotion in this trial scene, the path of devotion to the Father's will that Peter should have walked. And he's doing it on his behalf. Jesus, on trial, like a sacrificial lamb being examined for blemishes at the time of Passover, is laying down his life as a sacrifice to bear the cost of Peter's sins because he can't and won't do it. And he's doing it on Peter's behalf. Jesus is flipping religion on his head. This, he says, is true religion. Who is this Jesus? The king who serves the servants. The story of the gospel is not that we loved God, but that he loved us. The tables are turned, and it's almost too radical to believe. So where human resolve is failing, Jesus is succeeding. And the point is so that we would shift our confidence away from ourselves and onto him. Remember Paul's words? We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Christ is our life. Christ is our confidence in prayer before the Father. Christ secures our eternal reward because he didn't falter at the moment of trial. So that's the point. Where do we go from here? There's one more thing that Jesus has to say to Peter, uh, but it waits till after the cross. Come with me to chapter 21 and we'll finish up here. We'll look at the restoration. So this is chapter 21. By this stage in the gospel, Jesus has died and risen. He's laid down his life for Peter. Now he comes to restore Peter. And we know that John wants us to spot the link between this chapter uh, and Peter's denial scene because both scenes are set around a charcoal fire. Uh, You notice that in verse 9 of chapter 21. Just look down there. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. These are the only two places where charcoal fire is mentioned in John's Gospel, and the link is clear. Oh, the charcoal fire. I remember those scenes. But more significant is Jesus' threefold questioning of Peter, which mirrors his threefold denial. Let's read it together. 
starts at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Notice the threefold question. Jesus is not being mean. This is Jesus being gracious. Jesus doesn't avoid the hard reality of Peter's sins or ours. He deals with them. Jesus is tender and he draws us out. It is as though Jesus is saying to Peter, I know what you did. I saw you do it. I know your sin. I know your weakness. And I'm bringing it up so that you know that this very thing is what I died for. I didn't die for some stuff that isn't that bad without a real awareness of this other thing here that you did that was the real failure. I looked your sins right in the face and said, I'm going to the cross for these because I love you. And now, Peter... I'm here to restore you. And then Jesus says to Peter, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Notice that? Then he said to him, what does he say? Follow me. Follow me. Earlier, Jesus had said, and we've read it this morning, you cannot follow me now. But then added, but you will follow later. What's going on here? Jesus is transforming devotion. It is service restored. Jesus is coming back to all those issues that were on the table before. Will you love me? Will you serve me? Will you die for my name's sake? Will you follow me? Amazingly, Peter will lay down his life for Jesus. But this time, it's going to be different. Peter is going to serve Jesus by serving his church and feeding his sheep. But this time, it's going to be different. Peter is going to follow Jesus. But this time... It's going to be different. This time, Peter is going to follow Jesus as a humbled man. This time, Peter is going to serve Jesus as someone who has first been served by Jesus. This is a Jesus pattern. Peter is humbled. He comes to rock bottom at the point of denial. 
But Jesus' plan is not to leave him crushed, but to raise him up in a new way. God's plan is to humble human confidence, not to destroy all human effort, but to shift confidence away from self and onto Christ. Peter won't follow perfectly. He doesn't. Galatians 2. But that's not the point anymore. Christ has died for his sins. Christ has lived that perfection that he should have but couldn't and didn't live. And now Peter is going to serve in a new way. And what does this mean for us? What it means is that it changes our whole approach to religion. We serve as those first served. We serve as though we, as those who know they need serving. We serve not with self-confidence, but with confidence in Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. This Maudlin Road, is the God you are serving. Amen.